Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchwork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor-in-chief, and today we're talking about the biggest thing to happen to Coachella in a long time. That is, of course, a performance by Frank Ocean. And joining me to get into the show and the aftermath of that show are features editor Jill Mapes and senior writer Mark Hogan. Welcome, friends. What is up? I'm still recovering. It's been more than a week. Help. Help. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Boucher. Glad to be here. (laughs) Well, let's start from the beginning of this. Like, we are all, I would say, huge Frank Ocean fans. Is it fair to say that he is one of the most critically beloved artists by our staff, but also by music critics at large? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think Frank is one of those rare figures that uh, music critics love, and you know, he's he's widely admired in the public. He's a he's a big name. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you were to stop me at a party and say, "What's your favorite album?" I would I would say "Blonde." You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's just one of the best albums of the past couple decades, at least. Well, and Blonde was our number one album of the 2010s. Um, Pitchfork's list, his mom shared that on social media. Very (laughs) exciting for all of us. But I think part of Frank playing Coachella that was so exciting and nervy for all of his fans was that he just hasn't been in public outside of certain fashion shows. But his last show was 2017. Um, and yeah. then there was a smattering of, of singles and other things, teasing a new record, supposed to play 2020 Coachella that was canceled because of the pandemic. My question to you is like going into this, I know, Jill, you had said like the whole reason I'm here is Frank Ocean. <laughs> like, did it feel that way that like everyone was had made this trek to the worst festival on earth for... <laughs> just to see Frank Ocean in public <laughs> sing a song. Okay, for the record, I'm certain there are worse festivals on earth, <laughs> but I don't know if parking is quite as bad at any of them. Um, no, I think it was split because I obviously saw a lot of influencers trying to get their mm-hmm. photos off. And I think that Frank has this level of clout, you know, that it's also very trendy to be like, it's very exclusive. He's a recluse, Mm -hmm. like all these things that you're like, wow, the clout is so high um, for the people (laughs) who, who are there for clout and not there for music. But then there are so many people that are just of so many walks of life and ages. Like there were some people standing behind me and Anna Gatza, who's like one of our senior editors and we were both just so tired, but they were like festival volunteers and they had volunteered because we want to be here for this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they were talking about it and 
the guy was really, really skeptical that Frank was going to go on. And I know yeah. that a lot of people who weren't just so blindly excited were were feeling that way. And you're standing in that crowd. I mean, a lot of people were just sitting and we are waiting for an hour and there's stuff happening on the stage. And you're like, I don't really understand what's going on. What was happening on the stage? They were actively working on the stage. And I had been up by the barricade for Bjork set, which had been Mm. on that Coachella stage directly before. So I had thought, should I stay up here? I just, again, I'm too old. I cannot stay standing by the barricade with drunk teens, rolling teens for like five hours. To be clear, Jill is a very young (laughs) 30-something. So the Bjork setup was very elaborate. There was a whole symphony orchestra. You know, she kind of had a different coming out situation as far as the space and the Mm -hmm. crowd around her. And then it seemed like they had to take a lot of stuff away. They had to put on these sort of towers of equipment. They sort of made it look like a studio. It was a rectangular box. Mm -hmm. And then they slowly had these, I think it was about 30 walkers walking in a custom is Prada correct yeah suits they had like reflective things on them you saw that for about five minutes before he came out so there was things happening but there was actively crew breaking down and building up a set I will say and Mark I wonder if this hit you from being a fan at home on the ground we started hearing about Frank possibly not playing at all Mm -hmm. Yeah, like starting Friday. Starting, th- yeah, I heard on Thursday. So oh, right, I, yeah. I heard on Thursday that he had hurt his foot. And then I heard on Friday, he is in Palm Springs. <laughs> and then I heard, you know, and so we were getting on the ground all of these like tiny dispatches from people who knew people who knew people who knew people. And then the live stream got canceled. And that's when folks were fully, I mean, I had friends who were on the ground who were like in the festival and they were like, oh, if the live stream's canceled, we're leaving now because the crowd is going to be so crazy later and we don't think he's going to perform at all. So it felt like up to the second, Mm -hmm. everyone was unsure if he would even make it onto stage. Right. I mean, and there are people on social media who had overheard his uh, rehearsals and stuff. So there's all this evidence that's going to happen. But it wasn't like he was out there doing, you know, little warm up shows or anything kind of clandestine to get prepared for this. It was his first show in six years. He seemed more interested in stuff other than music recently. I mean, he did that home radio, which selling high end jewelry. It's like mm. a, a radio show that he rebranded to go with his high end store, which is cool. Mm. But like. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to say this. I had faith that he was going to perform, not just because I had gone to the desert in in a trek. Just uh, for you. He just was going to perform you. because he knew Jill was there. <laughs> he knows. Um, no, um, I felt that he was because I saw some of those like TikToks and videos that came out of rehearsal last week where kids were mm-hmm. like in the dunes of Indio, like hearing him mm-hmm. play like in the distance, you know, that I was like, OK, mm-hmm. he's in the desert. You know, he would be crazy to not perform. But he kind of did something that no one expected which was he was kind of bad, but also he kind of blew up his own shit. Not well, to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's get into that. So you're there. You've been at Coachella for a while now. But can you just kind of like set the scene for us? What was it like in the crowd? What was the vibe? Like, how did it go? Okay, so you've got these five minutes of these people walking and, and then, their reflective Prada suits. But basically, like... 
Frank comes out after like five or so minutes of this happening and it's just slow. I mean, there's a lot of space in between all the songs, even from the start. There's like 30 seconds to a minute between songs. And he starts with Novocaine, sort of a new version of Novocaine. He plays some Channel Orange stuff kind of quickly, like Crack Rock he plays. But again, he like starts playing. That's the third song he plays, Crack Rock. And he starts playing it and then he stops. And then he starts he actually plays it. So like there was a lot of little like starts and stops, you know, and it felt it really felt like a rehearsal. And, and and Novocaine, we should point out, is the song where he mentions Coachella. So yeah. I mean that was you know, mm-hmm. that was kinda of, he finally after that long wait, he kinda of gave the fans something, you know, that yeah. they were waiting for. I wanna point out the second song he played, which I think was really beautiful, but I think was an extremely strange choice without the ice skating. So to give you a sense of where this story is going and anybody who is paying attention to this story knows this already, this set was supposed to have a very large ice rink that was to like come up from the ground and have more than a hundred skaters, people who are ex-professional hockey players, Olympic figure skaters, like very high level people doing routines. Mm -hmm. I want to point out the second song is this song called come on world you can't go but it's also sometimes called Iceman, mm-hmm. and it just kind of hit me it was a, a song that uh, frank put out on blonded radio in this long interim since blonde mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorites and i know the fans really love it but i thought it was very it's sort of um like obviously says like i can escape you know and he says that mm-hmm. and it sounds at times like he's saying i can skate Like, oh, this must have been very specific to how this routine started or where it came up or something. So that's something that strikes me in the beginning of the set that was a very curious choice and kind of gives me a, a view into maybe what he was going to do. Right. But 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 even the idea of like what, like, you know, Frank Ocean on ice, like how how cool could that possibly have been? You know, like it just doesn't seem as very good cool. as his good ideas. Oh, cool. What? <laughs> this is <laughs> Disney on ice because people think things on ice are cool. Mark, did, did you not like watch hours of figure skating every Saturday morning from That's the true, ages of like oh, of seven to? That's true. Yeah, and I've been to Disney on ice. I also, you know, I'm just thinking about Frank. The idea of putting ice in the desert. Yeah, exactly. Like I it can 100 percent see him being like, well, th- this will be a thing, you know. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's talk a little bit about just like, were there actual highlights? Because one of the things that I kept seeing on Twitter while stuck in traffic in the parking lot leaving. (laughs) um, (laughs) 
No, but yeah, when you go through, I mean, when I was sitting here at home going through the video and, you know, oh, you know, they got to see him sing Bad Religion live, right. you know, off the of Channel right. Orange. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they got to see White Ferrari, which, yeah, it was like a, a reworked version, um, but it's, it's just a beautiful great song and it's a great reworked version even if you know maybe the uh the, the audience there you know wasn't prepared for it it wasn't maybe the best selection for that loved it it was honestly one of my favorite reworks um it was giving postal service meets like little Mm -hmm. bit techno vibe behind it and like i you're asking the question like are there things that are good there are some things that are good and i think on a song level that's what you can point to like uh, you know or like self-control he did a very acoustic sort of Joni mitchell version that was not totally faithful, but not so different. But for me, I really liked like a white Ferrari rework or like solo, mm-hmm. even though I liked our original solo is probably my favorite song on Blonde. But the new version is like harsh and abrupt and sort of disjointed. And it kind of eventually finds its a beat, you know, and, mm-hmm. and works itself out. But like I've rewatched the video of it 10 times because mm-hmm. it, it does like you know, it's an album I've listened to so many times. It's like finding a new closet in your house or something, you know, mm-hmm. to, f- to hear some of these songs with drums. I do think there are like positives, but I also think there are things that are interesting which is not to say they are good but they Mm -hmm. do show me that there was like some things that he kept in like I couldn't at the time I didn't really know what was going on but towards the end um he also did a cover of Aretha Franklin's Nightlife which was really he had his inner child Josiah Mm -hmm. uh mimicking like singing for him it was this kid that was maybe like 10 he just comes on stage and he's like belting but Frank's singing um it's very like sparse it's very sort of gospel and at the end I just laugh so hard this is maybe my favorite thing Frank says just like this is Josiah he's playing my inner child today like (laughs) (laughs) and didn't it say like inner child on a big you know screen too so it's just like like like, can I spell this out for you which is sort of the opposite of you know Frank's usual like mysteriousness it's just kind of like by the way this is my inner child yeah and it was very um, the version was pretty psychedelic too and so I do feel like he was having a little bit of a a little moment that you're like okay I see some intentionality in here but like this kid is just kind of randomly very much a focus Correct me if I'm wrong, but he also had that DJ, DJ Crystal Mess come through with like a little rowdy set. Mm-hmm. I was ambiently just excited mm-hmm. to see those kind of quirks come through, Frank, because it makes me, we are so desperate for new music that I'm just like, I wonder what he is experimenting with. And is this reflective of any of that and was there any indication of new music or like where his head is musically well he had a little speech that Mm -hmm. i took a little clip of because i felt like he was he was only candid i feel like maybe 
two times yeah. in the set. Um, but he talked about, like, before the pandemic, we were having so much fun throwing those club nights in New York, which he threw, like, Prep Plus parties that were um, mm-hmm. to honor, like, queer histories of dance music. And he's brought a club energy to some of his um, his radio work, and he yeah, was having those club sure. nights. So he spoke on that, and, and there was a vibe of maybe, like, what he has been thinking about could be a little bit of a sign of where his head's at. In New York, that we're just getting started before shit started shutting down. And I was having such a good time playlisting music and listening to so much new music and, and encountering, like, you know, DJs who were up and coming, who were, like, really on their shit. And um, it's become such a part of my practice now with, like, you know, my new weekly thing with Home Radio, you know, that we've been, like, doing. And it's not always, you know, it's, it's, like, good that it's not always about me, you know, so... I just wanted to bring a little bit of that into this, but back to the songs. Okay. It was a lot of Jersey Club. Mm-hmm. It was great at first because for me at least, it went from um, Andre 3000's verse on solo, them just playing it back to like the DJ playing these different remixes and mashups. And, you know, Frank's just kind of hanging out. He's kind of vibing. Yeah. And that was fine at first because you're like, there's this is the interim. This There's a vibe that this is the midway through the set. And mm-hmm. then he's going to come back and do something more. But... No, it, it, it was an example of like how things were interesting, you know, but not yeah, necessarily right. good. But it was kind of like, oh, like <laughs> this, this could be something. I mean, Crystal Mass has been on his radio show, I think, three times. And, you know, she played a, a mashup of the Underworld song from the 90s, Born Slippy, which she's played yeah. on the, the radio show. She mashed it up um, live with Frank Ocean's Channel Orange song Lost, which sounded really cool. And yeah, it was just mm-hmm. a different energy. And then afterward, he was like, again, maybe being a little bit on the nose. He was like, oh, you came to the Frank Ocean set and you got. A, a rave mix inside the Frank Ocean set. Yeah, like, yes, uh-huh. thanks for pulling that out for us. <laughs> it was weird from him, but but it, it, yeah, it was it was one of those things where you're like, well, you know, on paper this is really interesting. I wonder yeah. what cool thing will happen next. I think it's really interesting that, you know, Jill, you are self-describing as an old and I'm rolling my eyes at that. But Mark, the person who live streamed it was this teenager, this 18 year old Frank Ocean fan. And I'm wondering, you know, you talked to her for Pitchfork. What did she have to say about that experience and like her vantage point? Uh, yeah, her screen name was was Morgan Doesn't Care. She's an 18 year old from Charlotte, North Carolina. I talked to her right after she flew back for you know her high school classes. She's still in her senior year of high school, and she had to get there first thing in the morning and sprint all the way to the barricade. Spend all day hanging out there. Uh, she happened to have a portable battery charger for her phone, portable phone charger, so uh, her phone was in good shape. She uh, started um, you know live streaming it kind of during that long. Wait and I mean, again, front row does not look like what you think when you're uh, <laughs> way back with you know, the, at the the Coachella barricade with like security guards going by and people who are maybe having a hard time being escorted away. Uh, she was talking about listening to Blonde for the first time in middle school, which I was Help working us. for Pitchfork when I was listening to Blonde. Uh, um, and, and but that's the thing is he for a whole generation. I mean, he's been this kind of symbolic figure, this, you know, just, mm-hmm. this great, brilliant artist who's cool but reclusive and and who, for all the greatness of his music, he also kind of just turned the industry on its head by putting out the visual album Endless and then turning around and putting out Blonde as an independent release because mm-hmm. Endless was his contractual fulfillment record. So he's independent too, which is something that I think yeah. is, is kind of cool. Even Beyonce, she you know who had probably the greatest Coachella set of all time. She's 
definitely part of the industry machinery. Blackpink or Bad Bunny, who had, it sounds like, great Coachella sets. I mean, they play the game. Frank just, he refuses to play the game, which is why it wasn't surprising that his set was a deconstruction of a Coachella set, but it just was surprising that it was a disappointing deconstruction. Wait, I want to say one thing about the live stream. My favorite part is near the beginning. I I love because there's all this space between the songs that the people near the front are kind of like, they're like, I'm going to say things to Frank. Not a lot, Uh but this one one kid goes, I peed myself for you, Frank. Yes, yes. I love that. Okay, I will say, I will say the reason that I wanted to bring up this teenager is mm-hmm. that the the Frank set controversial as it might have been seemed to be really compelling and lovely for other fans. One thing that universally seemed to be a little bit frustrating for folks was that Frank disappeared off stage at the end of his set and then got on mic and said, we've hit curfew, we're kind of done here. Which is an abrupt ending to something that feels like magical and mystical and and the like. And then a few days later, everyone was kind of, will they, won't they? Will Frank come back for, for weekend two? And Frank canceled his second weekend's performance. Let's just talk first about the reaction to weekend one. I mean, I think it was still, uh, I mean, there was a lot of disappointment and a lot of question marks. I mean... So I didn't stay up until 3 a.m. watching the live stream when it happened. So I came in, you know, Monday morning, you said, figure out anything you can about what happened with Frank said. And the main tone was just everybody thought that it was this this train wreck. And it was really interesting that it took a few hours into the day for them to finally say, oh, it was this ankle injury. Because it just seemed like, well, he was bopping around on stage. Yeah. Like, why would an ankle injury have been the cause of that? So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think basically it was just still the usual, you know, will he or won't he with Frank? It was like this was a big disappointment. Will he even come back? I mean, there's a Twitter account called the Festive Owl that seems to cover mm, the, yeah. mm-hmm. that I should definitely credit because they were the first to report stuff that has since been verified by everybody else, you know, that they reported the ice hockey rink and they were saying that, you know, that he was not going to be performing anymore at Coachella, which Frank's team statement kind of made it sound like everything was still cool with him in Coachella, but uh, but clearly he ended up not performing. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, at that point, just on Monday morning, he was just trying to figure out how did it go so wrong? I mean, this is this is Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by Wednesday morning, you got these two former professional hockey players, uh, Dan and Chris Powers, who host a podcast called The Empty Netters. And they spent the first like 15 minutes of their episode talking about how they had been performing. Uh, they were slated to be part of this performance and everything mm-hmm. that happened. And it was like really wild to try to reconcile with the ankle injury being the thing that was being trotted out as sort of the official line. Okay, let's let's like regroup and talk about that after the break. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, well, I want to get into the kind of controversy and rumors around what actually happened. A couple of days after the performance, his team released the statement basically saying that his entire show had to be reworked because of an injury. 
right? Definitely, that was being trotted out as a reason even before uh, the set happened. Um, and I want to be clear that I had heard the same thing on the Thursday before Coachella. But but I will say, yeah, that, that, that Monday morning, I spent all my time trying to figure out what, what happened. And there was nothing out there about an ankle injury mm-hmm. or a foot. So it took the large part of that day before they were kind of like, uh, what's our response to this? And the response was an injury was why he was hidden behind a screen mm-hmm. and taking two minutes between songs. And, you know, I mean, again, this is with all like love and respect mm-hmm. for, for Frank as an artist. It just it seemed like he had an off night. I feel like, you know, some of the there are waves of kind of commentary Mm -hmm. and thinking about these things when they happen, meaning like a an artist who's under a lot of pressure just as a cultural figure point, but also to their fans kind of cracking under it. And I don't want to speak to anything here, but there was a lot of conversation around just like, was Frank okay? Mm -hmm. And he was dealing with, and he's still grieving with the passing of his brother. He spoke to that directly. And it felt like almost like he didn't want to be there. And I, I'm curious to kind of what you think about all of that, because I feel like there was so much conversation around it being like, if you don't want to play, don't agree to play. Versus the other folks being like, people can be in crisis suddenly and you not know about it versus folks being like, he just didn't care. Like, this was just for the money. So, I mean, he reportedly got paid $4 million for that set and would have reportedly mm-hmm. been paid $4 million had he played, an additional $4 million had he played Weekend mm-hmm. 2. I mean, I, I can't even really contemplate like how hard I would work if that's how much I was <laughs> being, you know. Uh, it just, but, uh, so that seems, that's just kind of beyond but most of our understanding. But Spent it on production costs, right, right. which the artist has to cover. But then he went over that. So supposedly Golden Voice is like, there's no money made in this entire thing. Right. <laughs> and, and I do think so in, in the in the video that Morgan doesn't care took, there's a moment that Jill and I have have shared a laugh over where it, it you can see the exact moment before he sings the Isley Brothers song that Aaliyah also covered at your best. You are love, uh, which ended mm-hmm. up being his last song of the night. You can see a moment before that where he's having a long conference with I don't know if it was a keyboard player or a guitar player or what, because you can't really see anything. But um, and he mouths the words, you know, how long do we got? And then he has this you can see the exact moment he realizes he's done um, and, and he has this, 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 kind, this kind of grin, this sort of like sheepish, you know, uh, rueful mm-hmm. grin, and he kind of looks off mm-hmm. to the side, and it's just because you could imagine how he could have salvaged the set if they had played some more fast songs, maybe after that slow Isley Brothers cover, that there could have been some kind of energy, and instead it was just this huge, you know, uh, set long anticlimax where you kept waiting for something to happen. And I mean, we can't get into his head. I mean, I don't think that he yeah. didn't care. It, it definitely did feel like he didn't want to be there. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Jill, I mean, what, what do you think about like, you know, how much space we have to give an artist to grieve and be human up there? Because Frank is under a lot of pressure. So Frank's brother, Ryan, passed in 2020. And that was obviously the year he was initially going to be playing Coachella. Um, That was the year of the pandemic. I don't think grief is linear for anybody, especially Mm -hmm. in this time period. And Frank hasn't played a show since that time. So I do really feel for him because in his speech, he just really bluntly explains why he's there. My brother and I, we came to this festival a lot. And I feel like I was dragged out here at the time because I hated the dust out here. I always dealt with the respiratory infection or whatever. So I, I would like avoid coming in here. Always, I would always end up here. And um, one of my fondest memories was watching Ray Strummer. I don't know what that stage is called, but watching Ray Strummer 
with my brother and and Travis. I don't know if Travis Taco is here, but we were just dancing in that tent uh, to their music. And um, I know he would have been so excited to be here with all of us. And and um, and I want to say thank you for um, the support and the ears and the love of all this time. Um, and I'm going to get back to these songs. And it felt like kind of an explanation, a a way of saying, I am here because I have this sentimental attachment. And when I agreed to do this, I probably imagined this being different. But he also does have an obligation through a contract that he signed before all of this happened. So we don't know like his headspace and we don't know the reasons why he pulled the plug on the ice situation mm-hmm. and and his own physical injury his own mental state i mean i i think that artists are allowed a lot of they should be allowed time to process and i think that when he said that it really made me like have a lot more empathy towards whatever was going to happen on that stage in a way that i don't think people who weren't there or didn't watch it in full could maybe understand yeah Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, you can both understand as someone who loves an artist, like what they're going through and also be disappointed. Because there's still 100,000 people out there in the desert at the end of three days. And that's even more pressure because you're expecting not just to be entertained, but to be given something spectacular. And he gave everybody something to talk about. But you definitely, as you get to the end of the video, it just it just feels deadening. I mean, I I feel defeated when I get to the end of that, that concert video. Well, let's let's ask this then. What does this mean for Frank? And like, what do we expect from him coming up now? You know, it's 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 a bad gig. You know, he had one bad night. I mean, sometimes, mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays everything seems like with social media, it's just everything gets so polarized so quickly. So it's like either you're a perfect, unassailable genius, or now you're trash <laughs> and you're, you're yesterday's news. And like, I mean, he did mention, you know, that there might be a new album. Um, he obviously has been working with these sort of you know punk influences and you know rave and house you know dance music influences. He's still a great yeah, artist and, you know, curator of sound and style. I mean, I just would love to hear from him again, but I don't really want to go to the desert for that set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no. Thank you so much for chatting about this. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Pooja. Glad to be here. This is fun. Yeah, I could talk about Frank all day. So Jill, let's, let's start talking about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll hit, you, I'll hit you off. off in the, in the, the DMs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Pitchwork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner, and Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? 
Find Out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.